You're listening to Paz Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 30. Welcome to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, This is Mexican Food, a digital magazine dedicated to exploring the markets, streets, recipes and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook and author. To find more information about the show, please go to pazdechipotle.com. You can subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Play and YouTube. This episode features an interview with Mexican-American Yvette Marquez Sharpnock, food blogger, speaker and author who has worked long and hard to build a personal brand and business that reflects the pride and inspiration that she sources from her Mexican heritage. Yvette has fully embraced the best that social media has to offer to weave collaborative networks with prominent Latinas and businesses and together they're making their mark and breaking many stereotypes and glass ceilings, effectively paving the way for present and upcoming generations. As long-time listeners of the show, and even new ones, will soon find that a common thread between my guests is how diverse and interesting their studies and careers are, and how that has shaped their ideas and the uniqueness of their businesses. Yvette studied arts in her native Texas, but she was always inspired by the food and talent of her grandmother and her old-world northern Mexican recipes, as she says. Legend has it that one day Yvette's daughter had a brilliant idea, and this was to put together older family recipes. And Yvette went on to create her own blog Muy Bueno, which literally translates as very good. And something that started as a family project grew and became a beautiful and inspiring platform that has harvested accolades from Saber, Bubble, The Latin Kitchen and Latina Magazine. Besides her blog and popular YouTube channel, Yvette's work has also been featured in Cosmo for Latinas, People en Español, NBC, Today, The Huffington Post and BuzzFeed, among other media outlets. And she has been brand ambassador and spokesperson for Unilever's Vive Mejor, California Strawberries, Kruger, and if you don't live in America, like me, <laughs> let me tell you that Kruger is the third largest retailer in the world. Another important aspect of Yvette's career has been her commitment and dedication to leverage her influence as a public figure and campaign to promote food security and literacy and rethink the role of food bloggers and food activists to achieve food equality in America, particularly among Hispanic families. Because to this day, there is an estimated 13 million children whose families struggle to feed them. In this interview, Yvette shared amazing insight from her experience as a Latina businesswoman creator, speaker, and food activist. I learned so much and I was so inspired 
by her soulful work, and I hope you are too in this episode. Yvette, what a pleasure it is to have you here at Paz de Chipotle podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you invited me to be a part of it. I'm a fan of your podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now, you know, Yvette, at the core of the podcast is to widen the perspectives and understanding of Mexico's gastronomic heritage way beyond food itself. Long-time listeners of the show know I really place the focus on the cultural and social dynamics and the values uh, that shape the communities in Mexico, which result in practices of conviviality, togetherness, and a genuine care that is manifested through our many traditions and, of course, our delicious food. Now, I think it's fair to say that food and social media these days have played a hugely important part to, well, help communicate why it's so culturally significant, especially in countries like the US, where I guess the predominant concept has been sort of limited and maybe even overinterpreted. And at the same time, it has been kind of pinholed to what they think Mexican cuisine is. But you, Yvette, have put yourself and not only your work, I mean you and your work out there and have become quite a role model for what a Mexican-American Latina businesswoman uh, literally brings to the table, not shying away from your pride in your family values and cultural heritage. So I would like to know what uh, and how this entrepreneurial journey has been for you and which are the sort of key personal and professional decisions that uh, you have taken to put you where you are now. Yeah, wow. That's a, that's all great. <laughs> It's just amazing how just thinking exactly what you said regarding how social media plays such a big part in education alone, just of, you know, whether it comes to Mexican food or any cuisine, it's just social media has become the new platform for it. But regarding my entrepreneurial journey, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, it was ever, it, it was ingrained in me since I was a little girl. My mom was a single parent mother and I grew up with my mom and my grandma. And my grandma was also an entrepreneur. She, even though she came from Mexico, she became a widow very young. And her and my grandfather, who I never met, owned a grocery store. And so they've always been in business. Then eventually my mom opened up the, took over the grocery business. So as a little girl, whether I wanted to or not, I had to work in that grocery store. And, you know, I not only worked in that grocery store, but, you know, being that my mom was a single parent mom, always had like two or three jobs. You know, she sold Avon, she sold Tupperware, she sold cosmetics. And, you know, I would help her at school and they'd call me the little Avon lady when I'd be knocking on the teacher's doors, <laughs> trying to sell makeup to, <laughs> to teachers. But, you know, I think just it just was something that was natural to me. And I went to school, wanted to be a, what it was back then called a commercial artist, now a graphic designer. And, you know, even though I worked full time, I still figured out ways to freelance and do my own business on the side. So now having my own business, it's, it's just 
been nice to see how my love of my culture, my Mexican background, my grandma was born in Chihuahua. As a little girl, I loved to hear her stories of living in Mexico and how they crossed over to Texas during the Mexican Revolution. And just it's hard to believe that now my business is reliving and getting to share her legacy. I would have not been able to even fathom or dream that that's what I would be doing today. But it's just a blessing that my business, being an entrepreneur, is sharing the legacy of my family and I couldn't be more happier than that. Well, if that wasn't a life lesson, <laughs> I don't know what that was. I, I think it's a, well, thank you. It's a, it's a very generous window you open to your intimate life. And, you know, that's precisely uh, what I really wanted to put out there of what happens in the making of the great entrepreneurs of today, which, of course, for many Mexicans, it might sound very familiar, these fighting spirit of saying yes we're gonna we're gonna get through this and to move forward to like we say in Spanish to seguir adelante no just to mm -hmm. keep pushing mm -hmm. so well you mentioned now that you really were sort of drawn to well it's, I guess it's more than graphic design now it's all this very multimedia complex industry that is advertising it really reflects through all your work that you are indeed an arts professional at heart because you know you anyone can tell that you make a very conscious effort to present your work you know the way uh, you put it out there in your social media uh, and you frame everything like even if it's pasta soup no it's a little story in itself it's about you paying homage to your grandma to your to your mom if we could say you are putting out there a lifestyle that is way more than just food everything that goes behind and, and you are really communicating that so i really urge people if, if they're not familiar with your work so far to go straight to Instagram and start following you at Muy Bueno Cooking so they know what I'm talking about and I have to say that it's really not very common perhaps there are many underlying cultural aspects behind the fact why many Latinas sort of draw a line between their public work and, and their private life so like as I'm sure there's loads of perfectly reasonable explanations for that but I really applaud because <laughs> it's so refreshing to see that you embrace that and with such grace you know with a lot of dignity and a lot of pride you know when you when you share so I want to know what has it meant for you personally to become the public figure you are now and what has that meant for your Mexican-American family which has been your process behind that Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, I'm very passionate about continuing just the tradition of the recipes and the history and the holidays and everything that I loved about growing up and just to continue that. And whether it's my name, whether it's Muy Bueno, I just want people to remember why I'm doing this. And I think it's beautiful. I love that's like the biggest compliment ever is when somebody So I'm going to get all emotional <laughs> when it's a family member who tells me that they're proud of me because it's their family, too. And, you know, when I hear a cousin tell me when they walk into my home and say, 
it smells like grandma's house in here. That's what I want. Those are the memories that I want to continue. And anybody who is part of my family to tell me how proud they are of me, because it's just so big. You know, I think those words are so huge. And we all need to say it to other people, because I think we all work so hard. And I think it's, it's great for somebody to, to share that excitement for others. And being that I'm raising two children, I have my daughter, Maya, who's 16 years old, and my son, Blake, who's 10. My husband is of German descent, so our last name is Sharpneck. So when they see pictures of my children, they're like, oh, they don't even look Mexican or they don't look Latino. And, you know, that bothers me. But I mean, I think Latinos come in all shapes and sizes. And I just am so proud that my children are so proud of their heritage. You know, I think that today there are so amazing Latina role models today that my daughter can look up to. So not only me, but of course, I mean, you know, I love that she comes home and not only learning from me at home, but learning at school. So I'm just excited to share what I do at home, but then with my family as well. And for her to be a proud Latina, I'm just so proud of that. That's so moving and um it's it's very um interesting what you're mentioning now about your daughter because role models have always been there but sometimes uh, it's a bit challenging as a migrant and as a migrant in America from uh you know Latino heritage to break the traditional sometimes negative stereotypes uh well it hasn't been something that happened naturally there has been a lot of effort behind it you yourself you know might remember which role models were available for you mm -hmm. you were very lucky to have very strong family bonds with your mom and with your grandma to sort of step up you know and be and be the voice guiding you yeah but you say you're not a public figure you are <laughs> and and it's humility what makes you the way you are so if I move on with the next question, people will understand what I'm talking about, what you are doing. So because you really have leveraged your leadership, well, in your case as a food blogger, to engage, you know, in public speaking and in a range of topics in, you know, the nation that claims to be the most powerful country in the world. And, and there's lots of issues that they would rather not talk about, uh, which is one close to our line of work. And is the government, you know, politicians and society haven't ensured food security for millions of children that every day in America go to bed hungry. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, in 2012, you were part of a key event at the White House to address this tough issues. The aim no, of this event was to come up with solutions and proposals uh, through a series of panels that were led by one of the most inspiring, talented women in American politics uh, in the recent years, which uh, was First Lady Michelle Obama. Now, there is a clip on this episode's blog post on my website. You can head there and watch the highlights of this event. So, I want you to share with it, uh, you know, what was this particular event so significant for the Latino community and which has been the legacy? You know, there is a new administration, but of course the commitment continues. So how far and, and which have been the actions that derive from this event? Yeah, I remember when I was first invited to be a part of this panel, and I just couldn't even believe it because at the time, you know, it was the first lady, Michelle Obama, who I completely looked up to, and I still do. She's 
an amazing woman and at the time was very big into her Let's Move campaign, which I just thought it was beautiful for her to have children come out and me as a you know home gardener for her to open up her garden and teach children how to grow their own vegetables. And, and when they invited me to be a part of this panel, I just was in disbelief. It felt like a dream. And it was funny because I was trying to talk them out of it because I am the least expert when it comes to politics. Can you imagine you have your time to finally sit with somebody who you admire and they want you to talk to her, but they were insistent that they wanted an everyday Latina mother and were insisting they wanted me. And so I figured, okay, this is my opportunity to fulfill a dream that I can't shy away from. And it was amazing to sit down and speak to the first lady as a mom. We talked about on and off the camera, just motherhood and how it's hard to juggle it all and everyday issues with our children and talking about what I'm passionate about is children and eating healthy meals. As I was blessed, as I mentioned, you know, growing up with my mom and my grandma who are both amazing cooks and we always ate at home. It saddens me when I see children, especially in the Latino community, who are affected by obesity. And it's because, you know, the majority of those families are busy working and those children more than likely are making their own food or finding inexpensive places to get fed and it's not healthy choices. And so just to be able to sit down with Michelle Obama and talk to her about this passion of mine, you know, she gave me some great advice and we just bonded over that as mothers and that of teaching our children how to eat healthy, but sharing that with other people. So just having that opportunity was amazing. And it was my little moment of fame that I was able to have that experience because at the time we had just published the Muy Bueno cookbook and my very first advanced copy cookbook I gave to Michelle Obama after our interview, after our panel. And she took the time, you know, she was pointing at photos and looking at the recipes and saying, oh, and who's this and who's this? And just seeing all our family photos in the cookbook. You know, I can only imagine how many gifts they get, you know, at every time they go somewhere. But I was just amazed that I got a thank you letter from her a couple weeks later, thanking me for the cookbook and that she's so, you know, happy that she met me. And that alone, it was just amazing to be able to have that reminder in my office. There's, I mean, there's no more prouder moment than that. It's pretty amazing with my career. We will return with the show after this short break. Mexico's grand fiestas are a unique way to remember and joyously celebrate our history, cultural diversity, and ancestral traditions, from the patriotic occasions like Independence Day and the anniversary of the Mexican Revolution to Christmas, Dia de la Candelaria, and the world-famous Day of the Dead. These iconic celebrations bring together new and ancient traditions, from the spiritual to the joyous, always welcoming locals and strangers in rewarding and soulful celebrations of life. The Mexican Fiestas issue of Sabor, this is Mexican food magazine, explores the cultural history of the nation's festive calendar through in-depth articles 
and many traditional recipes to prepare unique dishes like pozole, chiles en nogada, day of the dead bread, and many more. To know more about the wonderful articles and recipes to start the making of your own family traditions, go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine. Take sabor with you on all your digital devices. Go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn, and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. That is such a highlight. I'm glad you came around and you came to your senses <laughs> and accepted that. I guess, you know, when, when there was that moment of big recognition, the back of your mind sort of is foreseeing what will come next. And what will come next is that you will be right on the spot and everybody will see you and you will be known and for the right reasons. And that will require a whole new set of challenges. I'm very thankful that I did say yes and that I had the courage to do it. And, you know, it's something that I'll always be proud of. So it's it's it was very special. I'm, I'm sure that the continuation of all the initiatives promoted by Michelle Obama came to an end, obviously, when the administration ended. But I don't know if there were other programs that continued. That's a great question. I always wondered that, you know, once they left the office, do all their campaigns that they worked so hard on continue? And with her specific campaign, with the Just Move campaign, that still goes on and that still lives on. I don't know how much day to day, whether she is a part of it or now it's a whole thing in its own. But, you know, it's just still a, an amazing reminder. My husband is very active. I'm very active. Our kids are crazy active in sports. And so the whole let's move and eating healthy is big in our family and you know I'm just excited that other people like her are continuing to share that. Uh, let's hope that many families had embraced it like you did and I guess it also pushed you or inspired you to continue in an independent way working around these topics of food security maybe in a slightly different take. Yours is a passion that is also shared with big celebrities like uh, actress Kristen Bell and singer Pink, who, like you, joined the efforts of the American charity Not Get Hungry that provides food literacy programs, school breakfasts, summer meals, you name it. And they also do research and advocacy with lawmakers and CEOs to promote laws and better conditions to end uh, hunger and food scarcity for families. How has this experience been for you, I understand you obviously have to combine your own day job with, you know, being an advocate, but which have been the major challenges and impact you've seen since you joined Not Kid Hungry? Um, yeah, now I am a, an advocate for No Kid Hungry, but anybody can be an advocate. Spread the word that one in six children in America are going hungry, which that statistic always makes me very sad. 
And, um, you know, as a mom, I can't even imagine it. And it's, you know, in places that you would not even know the child next door could be going hungry. So as a mom alone, it's just a huge passion for me to continue to spread that word and to figure out ways that we can raise money for those efforts. As a food blogger and as an entrepreneurial, as a business person, it's my duty to try and find a way. And so I think it's perfect now with the magic of social media that we can help promote that, whether somebody just wants to take the time and donate $10 or whether they want to host an event. I know with No Kid Hungry, they have something called Friendsgiving, and you can host a Friendsgiving party at any time. So think of it kind of as a Tupperware party. You invite some friends over and you have your friends donate. You know what? It could be a book club. It could be anything you want. It could just be just a matter of one person sharing what's going on out there and collecting donations to send to No Kid Hungry. So anybody can do it. And I honestly recommend for everybody to go to the No Kid Hungry website and see how you can be involved. So last year I hosted a Friendsgiving Tamalada. This year I decided to combine that with No Kid Hungry and do it all for Friendsgiving. So it was extra special because, you know, we invited friends and family. It just turned out to be a beautiful event, not only everybody learning about how to make tamales, but also to go home with an awareness of what is going on in America and spreading the word. Um, September is Hunger Action Month. So it's a month where people all over America stand together with Feeding America and take action on the hunger crisis, not only with children, but there's 42 million Americans that are food insecure. So there's so many things as No Kid Hungry. One of my clients is Kroger and they're uh, supermarkets all across America and they work with zero hunger, zero waste. And so they're always trying to figure out how to donate food to local banks or shelters and them as grocery stores. Because have you ever gone to the grocery store and, and you wonder what happens when this food is close to expiring? What do they do with it? I'm so happy to know that Kroger at stores, they donate that food to food banks and shelters. You know, not only are these big chains doing it, but we can do it because how many times are our pantry items starting to, you know, be close to expiring or we buy more than we need. So we as individuals can donate. We need to sometimes get out of our little bubble, which which is hard because we're all so busy, but to figure out ways how we can all help because everybody makes a difference. I cannot agree more. And there is something that really resonates with the problem with food insecurity, because like you said, obviously there are many and very complex reasons behind, you know, why one family will struggle because if they struggle to source food, if it's actually reflecting a bigger problem. I totally agree with you with the way the food industry works, uh, you know, preferring now perfect products, especially vegetables and fruits, which require for farmers to only stick to very strict rules. And then, you know, the waste begins and the farms, not because farmers want to throw produce away, but because supermarkets wouldn't take it. And then consumers are also falsely tricked into believing that if they're not even beautiful and perfect and the same size, then it's not good. 
there are campaigns now, at least in the UK that I know of, promoting wonky vegetables. So there's these big campaigns, they're just as good and they taste just as beautiful. So that's in one hand, obviously. But something that traditional cuisines, not only of Mexico, but from all over the world, many of our cultures are family-centered. Most of our activities, especially involving food or the preparation and consumption of it, uh, something we prepare together or some activities that we share together because that binds us and that's a way for us to remain as a strong unit. And that's a one way in which we pass on our knowledge, the food literacy and how to, how to nourish ourselves, how to cook, how to be conscientious about our choices. But if, like you say, you know, both parents work or struggle to get by, well, they, they simply won't have the time and sometimes they won't even have any significant knowledge to pass on to their children. So pushing further the way people and especially people who are passionate about food, which of course are all of the listeners of this uh, show, they could also engage promoting food literacy or passing on whichever skills they have, you know. Maybe, I don't know what uh, Knock It Hungry has, maybe do they have also like cooking workshops or things like that? Absolutely. And even in each state. So I know in Colorado, they have a cooking matters program where um, families can go out there and see what type of resources there, there are, whether it's somebody going to the grocery store with you and teaching you how to cook or maybe buy the most bang for your buck. So there's always things like that in the communities. It's just a matter of looking for those resources and it's just amazing what no kid hungry puts together and there are definitely things that people can look up to see what's available in their area oh that's great that's great so let's make a deal uh you will pass all the links that you can think of to make it easier for people who want to take action in america specifically uh, in this case i will share also the wonky vegetables links yeah that would be great great let's do that well, now going back a bit to positive Latino role models in these times where, you know, you hear in every Oscars ceremony the names of Mexican artists like Guillermo del Toro, Alfonso Cuarón, and Alejandro González Iñárritu, you know, they have effectively uh, become household names, at least in the cinematic industry. And I really believe that the power of deeply personal and tradition-centered stories really are the ones that have the power and the capacity to transcend cultures and speak to everybody about our shared humanity. Perhaps not too distant from your work as a food blogger and very close to your passion for the creative arts, you wrote and directed a short film called uh, Day of the Dead Celebration, which was starred by you, your children, and your extended family. This is an almost roughly five-minute production, which was nominated and eventually uh, was awarded uh, with an Emmy for international short film production. Uh, I don't understand why they categorize it as international, because you are a part of a huge Mexican-American population, which in America, <laughs> yeah, which in America <laughs> produced this. Well, I guess it's very telling of, you know, how cultural perceptions work. Uh, what I really care about is that I found your production so moving and touching and powerful, because it's a beautiful portrayal 
of how the community that you belong to, Mexican-American, bring this mixed heritage together with your own particular way to celebrate Dia de Muertos. Now, talking about visuals is making great radio, but uh, <laughs> actually there is the film on this episode's blog post on my website. So you can watch it, put your headphones and uh, turn the volume up, because trust me, this little film will add five minutes to your life. Now, please, Yvette, tell me, how do you come up with the idea and the narrative? I'm sure there were days and weeks and months behind it. And, you know, what what does it mean for you and your family to share this tradition, not only with your children, but I guess with the extensive community in, in the U.S.? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, as an artist, I still have that artist side of the brain that works over time where I can't sleep because I just have all these creative ideas. And I think that's just kind of my creative outlet. And I the idea was mine together with my videographer who I work closely with. And together we wrote it and my son narrated it. So and it was cute because he he ad-libbed and making it even more special. So he, um, you know, it's every year, you know, after my grandma passed away, my my daughter, who's 16, was only close to two years old when my grandma passed away. So both of my children never got to know my grandma like I did. And I never wanted her memories and her legacy to die. And so every year, in honor of Dia de los Muertos, I try and teach my children something new to celebrate the holiday, whether it's making papel picado together or making sugar skulls or setting up an altar or together making a new recipe. And that this is actually my third video that we filmed for Dia de los Muertos. And, um, and it's just something that I wanted to share that's very special. And I don't want to um, spoil it, but um, there is a a hawk in the in the video and every time I see a hawk I say it's my grandma so I knew that I wanted a hawk in the video and um and I think that's what just makes it so amazing because when I see a hawk I just feel like it's her spirit coming to visit me so it's it's a beautiful video that I'm completely proud of and for it to win an Emmy was I, I mean, it, that that part doesn't even feel real. It's just funny. Like, I just can't even believe <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing that it was recognized. But just to have my kids a part of it now, I mean, as we all know, time flies so fast. You know, it's just beautiful to be able to capture them in video format and for them to be able to understand what the holiday is all about, but at the same time telling it in their way you know, makes it special. And I think what I love to hear is from teachers or museums or people in the educational field who are using our videos, my videos for Dia de los Muertos to share what the holiday is all about. And that's amazing in itself. I didn't know it went uh, as far as to become educational material, which of course is fantastic. I think it's such a touching but also very authentic portrayal of, of how cross-cultural communities have every right to own traditions and interpret them in their own way. And the reason why I'm insisting in the fact that it's a very particular take is because in Mexico, in every region, there are very different ways in which this tradition is manifested. 
very often includes altars, but the elements that go in the altars and all the the practices, the, the rituals uh, where people believe that the spirits of the departed come back to be reunited briefly with the living and sort of feel recharged and refueled. There isn't one single way to celebrate this. And, you know, makes me happy to know that you are reappropriating your rightful way of, of engaging with that and, and giving new meaning to things. Like a modern interpretation, it resonates even more with young people that appeals to them and can understand it and relate to it in a different way. So, to me, what you are doing is not only keeping traditions alive, it's building upon them and making them significant and relevant. Thank you, really, for your work. Thank you. Yeah, and I get so many questions where people ask me if they can celebrate it because they, they think, okay, I'm not Mexican, I'm not allowed to do this. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of difficult at first, obviously, when we lose somebody that we love. But what's great about this celebration is that we have that time to honor them and remember them and there's just so many different elements like you were saying the altar a recipe or whatever it might be that you want to take the time to really stop and just remember the departed and honor them and so I want to encourage anybody you don't have to be Mexican you don't have to be Catholic this is not a crazy thing it's just a moment in your way to take the time to celebrate somebody who has departed that I, I couldn't have said that better it, it is really that in the end is just letting us express our spirituality our need to always feel connected and pay respect to the disease I know I and everybody keeps asking me are you working on the next video <laughs> I want to continue sharing that holiday and showing new ways to do it so there will definitely be recipes that are coming soon on my YouTube channel and on my blog. I'm sure there'll be lots of videos for the holidays. One of my videos that I really want to do is talk about more of Las Posadas. So I really want to do a beautiful Christmas Mexican, beautiful Posada videos. That's hopefully in our future for this year. <laughs> Tag me on your videos, please. I don't want to miss that. <laughs> Wait, still don't know who's behind the lyrics and the music of the theme. I'm trying to even remember how I found them. It's a beautiful, amazing song. And on my YouTube channel, there's a link for the band. And they have really fun, traditional, a lot of Mexican folklore songs. A lot of the songs that I grew up listening to made in a new modern way are definitely worth looking into. So you partner up with them and... Uh... Yeah, I, I I heard their song. I think, I, I believe I saw another Dia de los Muertos, kind of like a music video for that song. And I fell in love with the song. And so I reached out to them and, and asked them, you know, and I really thought it was going to be a long conversation back and forth. And they were like, yep, let's go ahead and sit. And they gave me the permission. It, it was a, a really fun collaboration that turned out because, you know, the magic of social media and connecting with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the end, uh, it got you all together to be on the books of the Emmy Awards, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Now, 
Ah, Yvette, I feel like instead of closing down or reaching the end of the interview, I feel like uh, putting the kettle on and have a coffee and carry on talking for hours. Okay, we have to move on. You know, I uh, I want to ask a few things that I think will be very useful. You have really done your homework, not only creating opportunities for yourself, but also grabbing opportunities when they present themselves to you in order to help people get their businesses where they invest them to be. I would like to know if there's some practical inspiration you can share, something they can get and, and learn and be inspired by. Yeah, I think it's just amazing what you can find online nowadays. Everything is literally with a type of your fingertips. You know, back in the day when we had to go to the library and do all this research, but initially before the blog, my goal was to always write a cookbook. And I would submerged myself in bookstores and I would go to the bookstore and I would pull out all of the Mexican cookbooks off the shelf and lay them on the floor. And as a graphic designer, you know, the artist in me looking at them and thinking, okay, pretend I don't know this celebrity shift. What is it that is going to catch my attention with these books? That's what I always recommend for anybody who wants to write a book is we all say don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do. You know, what is it about that cover that's going to stand out and what's going to make you different. Initially, when I was writing this cookbook, it's a process. It's not only writing the cookbook, but you also have to write a proposal to get it published. So one of the books that I, it was a very simple, and I was trying to find it on Amazon, and I don't even think it's really out there anymore, but it was a really small how-to write a cookbook proposal is literally what it was called. And um, I mean, it put it in a recipe kind of format in a way where I could understand just the simple outline of everything that you need to do to write a proposal. So even if you Google how to write a book or cookbook proposal online, you'll find amazing blog posts about it. So, you know, depending what it really is, what you want to learn or what you need to do is Google it. <laughs> so everything is honestly at your fingertips. What's hard about online is getting sidetracked, but it's just a matter of staying focused and really looking for the tools or the books that are really going to help you grow in your career. Yes, yes. Uh, you nailed two things. First, how there is a plethora of tools out there. Some are great, mm -hmm. some are, you know, mm -hmm. just love there. But yes, it's doing some diligent mm -hmm. research to find key tools. And that reminds me of a book, which I'm also going to include in the blog post, called We'll Write for Food. A really good book, and it ha actually has been reprinted several times. There is so much stuff coming out, especially, you know, in digital platforms, that the tools change so fast and everything gets dated so quickly. But the essentials, which are the core aspects of your book, what makes it special, what do you want to communicate with it? You, you really have to think of all these things. I've taken workshops to write book proposals and it's not easy, but it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a very great tool. So thank you for that. Moving on to the next question. Do you think have been the key moments where you had to make Tough decisions to challenge the direction of muy bueno and how to say, okay, if I go this way, this is, you know, the cost of opportunity. I will gain this, but I will lose that. So I guess you might have found yourself at this crossroad many times. So which do you think have been the 
the most important decisions you've taken uh, to take you where you are? I think in the beginning, when anybody's in business for themselves, they're afraid to say no. They say yes to everything and could be overwhelmed or burnt out because you want to take on every opportunity that's presented to you. As I've been in business for a while, I've learned to say no. And that's been really helpful because, you know, listening to your gut, listening to your intuition is the biggest thing that you can do as an entrepreneur because anything can sound great on paper. But if you have some little weird feeling that this just doesn't seem right, listen to that. And that's what's guided me in my business where now if something, you know, if it's too troublesome or something, somebody's too picky or if, or if maybe you're just not in love with it, then don't do it. We always say yes, because unfortunately it's, you're, you're, you're trying to build a business. You need the money and you're, and you're afraid it's going to hurt your reputation. But in the end, I believe you're opening doors for something bigger and better. Just say no and move on. And more than likely something Something is waiting for you around the corner that's bigger and better and amazing. That is such a wise advice. Yes, it is true. More often than not, the benefit is just one-sided. <laughs> like you are the one putting all the effort and work and then the, the return is, oh, but you will be featured. You'll get exposure. <laughs> I love that one. It's like the exposure is not paying the bills, first of all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And who's, and who's it exposing? You know, it's going to probably expose you in a negative way. And is it really helping the brand? So there's always ways of a partnership. And I think when you're valued as a entrepreneur because they value your work and there's ways to communicate that. What I always suggest as a blogger and working with brands, you know, this is still new. Blogging is still very new. We're the new billboard, you know, and think about advertising me as a background in advertising and marketing. That was worth thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions that these companies would pay for. Now they have bloggers who are doing way more amazing work and one person to do it all. You know, when I worked in advertising and marketing, we had photo stylists, we had photo editors, we had, you know, the model. Now, now the blogger does it all, the, the cooking, the styling, the <laughs> everything. So, I mean, they're getting a lot bigger bang for the buck and it's a lot more quality work and we're sharing that. So not only are we producing it, but then we're also sharing it. So, I mean, when you sit and have that conversation with a brand or if they, they understand and see the value in it, the possibilities of your partnership could be amazing, just showing how um, what you all can do together. And I always suggest, you know, if a brand or a partner wants to work with you, educate them and show them, okay, yes, I can do this, but did you know I can also do this? And more than likely, they might not even know. So it's just a matter of continuing to sell your services, showing a way that you all can do it together. That is so true. Uh, and I like how you frame it about educating companies or, you know, the people who, who approach you with opportunities. We are all one-man bands these days. Mm -hmm. um, I produce pretty much everything that I put out there and it comes with big effort and a lot of work and a lot of passion not behind mm -hmm. it. I think what you are referring to is make them understand the value of your work, even in this day and age of, you know, disposable bloggers by the millions. Right. Uh, there has to be, you know, some, uh, a relationship that is based in, in a mutual respect because, because we are not playing around, you know? Absolutely. And I always say, you know, we all need to value our work and stand behind what we can do 
as individuals and just know that we we are worth it and if somebody doesn't see that somebody else will yeah exactly that they're lost well where do you see then your business in five years from now you know which are the things that you haven't achieved yet that you would like to start or continue in in the future wow and i always get scared of that question i don't know why because i just think five years i am so day to day and i have my list my editorial calendar, I have my year planned out. Um, and I've always been in that business where, you know, I'm planned out, you know, I'm celebrating holidays months before they've arrived. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> you know, when I think about it, my daughter is 16. And you know, you know, what I love most about what I do is that she's a part of it. She was my assistant, and I would pay her to help me. And, and, you know, of course, I would one day love for her to work on the blog as well but I don't know I mean I have so many dreams and aspirations but I would definitely love to write more books and I would love to have my YouTube channel grow have more cooking videos in a bigger audience that would be one of my big dreams I have dreams of having my own product line whether it be salsas and sauces and don't know if it's going to take me one year two years five years but all I know is that I hope that I can continue doing what I'm doing. You know, people don't understand how a whole blog works. And it's I kind of love that mystery. Somebody can have a business online and you be your own boss, partner with amazing companies. And I just remember working in a cubicle in my graphic design office, hating every day being there. <laughs> and now to be able to, you know, work my own schedule and if I want to travel somewhere, I can. If I want to, you know, do some, you know, take my children somewhere, I can. I don't have to ask for permission. I would just love to be able to say that I'm still self-employed five years from now. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. And it's crazy the way our economy has shifted and has given us opportunities for many people like ourselves who probably would have struggled to put together both our interests and our skills the way we are using them now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think of the age I am now, mid 40s. <laughs> but to think, wow, if this was available for me in my 20s, it would have been so amazing. So there's just so many opportunities for kids nowadays with the internet and with social media. It's just amazing the businesses somebody can build. Uh, well, now moving on to the last part, to my guests that are food bloggers or uh, food writers. I always ask them to share a recipe. What did you choose to share the audience of Paz de Chipotle? They will find the recipe on this episode's blog post. And why is that recipe so special for you? Mm. Yeah, it's so funny because that's like the hardest question when somebody asks me what my favorite dish is. Because it honestly depends on what I'm craving or the time of season. You know, now that fall is starting to creep in, I'm all about all the fall flavors and love anything and everything pumpkin. I would say pumpkin empanadas. Yeah, Ooh. on my blog, I have kind of an easy recipe for pumpkin empanadas, but on our cookbook, it's the real homemade pumpkin and how to carve it and cook it in a piloncillo syrup. So it's a, it's a little more time consuming. But I just remember as a little girl, you know, we celebrated um, Halloween. And so anytime when I would carve my pumpkin, my grandma the next day after Halloween, she would say, no me vas a tirar. My jack-o'-lantern would be all wilting and I would be ready to throw it away. And she would go and 
get it before I would throw it and say, no, 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 we can still cook that. So she would get my used jack-o'-lantern and I would just be amazed that something that I thought was ready to throw in the garbage, she would turn into something amazing. And so she would cook the pumpkin and, you know, the house smelled amazing with the canela and the piloncillo and it would just slow simmer and just the all of those amazing scents in the kitchen and then she would make the dough and form little circles with her palote with her little rolling pin and just fill it with this amazing pumpkin puree and just seeing them bake and eating them warm is just so amazing and my son if you were to ask him what he would want he could live on empanadas every day but (laughs) but he loves empanadas too and I just love that he knows when my mom's in town that he's gonna get empanadas so I love that that tradition of me watching my grandma make me empanadas now my mom is making them for him um you know it just it's full circle and it's a special recipe he loves to help you know with a fork crimp the little empanada so brush the the egg wash on it so he he loves to be involved so I will definitely share that link with you and like I said that's the easy version and then my published cookbook I have more of the homemade with a pumpkin well that's a great start I would think a good challenge uh, for the days ahead now that we're entering calabaza season that's a nice prospect to have thank you very much my last request is if you could please tell the audience all your social media channels and accounts so they can connect with you, follow you, and of course tell them where to get your cookbooks, but more importantly, the titles available. I will set up links, but I want, I want them to hear them from you. Yeah, I have two cookbooks. My very first baby is Muy Bueno, Three Generations of Mexican Recipes. So I co-wrote that book with my mom and my sister. So it's basically recipes from my grandma and from my mom and new Latin-inspired recipes that my sister and I developed. So that's muy bueno. It's also published in Spanish, too. So it's available in English and Spanish. And then I also wrote another book called Latin Twist, and it's all cocktails. So I co-wrote that actually with another food blogger named Vianney Rodriguez with SweetLifeBake.com. It's all cocktails from Latin America in Spain. So it was a lot of fun. Put our love of cocktails to the test. I bet it was. <laughs> it was hard work, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> so it was really fun to get to learn different fun cocktails from different countries and their liquors. Of course, with the blog, you've got to have all the social media channels. So I'm on Facebook. You can find me there on Muy Bueno Cookbook. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm Muy Bueno Cooking. YouTube as well, YouTube dot com slash muy bueno cooking and pinterest as muy bueno so i'm on all those channels if anybody ever wants to message me or leave me a comment i try my best to answer any questions so don't be afraid to reach out well that's great i think uh, we've covered everything except for the formats in which your books are available so i know they're digital and uh, available on amazon but are they also published in um printed form oh yeah definitely they're both in print copy so you can order them on amazon or just go to your local barnes and noble both books are beautifully photographed by the same photographer janine thurston and there's a photo 
for every recipe in both books. Fantastic. Well, Yvette, thank you so much for your time, for virtually opening the doors of your home to all of us. Welcome me and welcome the show. I hope I get to share and to see all your new adventures and I hope the people that are listening now that haven't seen your work or those who are familiar with your work well we all continue enjoying it for many years to come thank you thank you for this time and I can't wait to see your food journey as well so I'm excited to hear everything that you have got going on as well it's going to be beautiful I know it oh thank you oh we need a travel partner Just, you know, you know who to call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if it's, uh, you know, like we say in Mexico, if you say goodbye too many times, it's because you don't want to leave. So it is a case. Okay. It is a case. But I, I know uh, we have to, to close the episode. So I send you a big hug and wish you the best. Thank you so much. And igualmente, and thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This episode was written and produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. To find more information about this project, please go to pazdechipotle.com. On this episode's description, you will find all the links mentioned on this interview. And, as well, on my website, you will find a special blog post with the videos mentioned in the interview, plus Yvette's delicious recipe to make pumpkin empanadas. And of course, the links to connect with her and Muy Bueno on all social media platforms. Support this show on Patreon. Patreon is the largest platform that connects independent creators with great audiences like you. Go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast. Every donation makes a big difference for the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast and be part of this delicious story. The next episode of Paz de Chipotle will feature my third guest of this new series. And it's another Mexican-American lady boss, entrepreneur, chef, and founder of the award-winning sauces brand Salsaology, Lori Sandoval. That is going to be a very tasty episode. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time.